From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 230. Today's show is brought to you by Pingdom, Care of, and Lunar Display. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Happy, happy Upgrade Day, Mike. I, oh, I, I didn't say that it's Monday because, you know, who knows when people are listening to this. Upgrade could day be could be day. any day. It could be like weeks away. It could be years away. Do you know people still listen to like really, really old episodes of this show? I take my hat off to people that do that. Um, like if you if you enjoy this show enough that you want to go back and listen to old episodes, I have great respect for you. But it must be wild to listen to us talk about old news stories. Yeah, I don't even want to know. <laughs> I don't want to go back there. No. Just, we must move forward. Just full of things that we were wrong about. Um, I guess what I'm saying is nobody wants to, t- to hear about that. I guess Mike. so. Our hashtag Snow Talk question comes from Brian this week. Brian wants to know, Jason, what is your Desert Island album? Mike, you can answer this question. Do I even need to? You know, it's kind of Didn't funny. we do this? Yes, but you know what? I forgot. Like, when oh. I saw this, I forgot that... Like it didn't put two and two together that obviously me and you have had a forty-one minute discussion about your favorite album. It didn't jump uh-huh. into my head, honestly. I didn't even think about it until you put the link in the notes. Interesting. But, uh, yes, I used to do a series, part of my Inquisitive podcast. Um, this was back in two thousand and fifteen, where I uh, brought on a bunch of really interesting people in our kind of wider podcasting community and asked them, "What is your favorite album?" Um, and Jason picked. Crowded House, the self-titled self-titled album by Crowded House. Um, so yeah, so that's a really good album. I like this pick because it's a album that I have full memories of. So that's the one. That's still the one you'd pick. It's like not even just your favorite album, but the one album you'd be happy to listen to forever. I mean, I I'm just I think that's going to be the easiest answer I could give. I didn't do the calculation of like could I cheat and pick like some sort of greatest hits compilation box set album that's yep. like eight discs or something and all that and I just decided I'm not going to I'm not going to go down that path. The best of music compilation box set. <laughs> that's right. That's right. All the music on an iPod that I then bring with me. But that's not the question here it really is like what's the what's the desert island and uh yeah I'm going to say Crowded House from from Crowded House 1986. Thank you to Brian for the Snell Talk question. If you would like to send in a question of any kind for us to open a future episode of Upgrade, just send out a tweet with the hashtag Snell Talk, and it may be included uh, for future selection. So thank you so much to Brian for the suggestion. We have some follow-up. Foldable phones. It was the week of foldable phones last week. We picked we, we really killed it that we were interested in, and Woo. turns out the rest of the internet was as well, which is brilliant. Uh, nice and timely. Um, this was mostly spurred on uh, by the fact that uh, what it was like w- the day after, so Wednesday, uh, Xiaomi, um, the Chinese phone manufacturer, they showed off a prototype of what they think a foldable phone should look like, and it's completely different, which I love. I love that it's completely different. Um, you know, like the FlexPi Royale was just a phone that folded in half like a book. But Xiaomi's phone, it's like a... Uh, a rectangle and you fold the two sides around to make it like a smaller rectangle. I like this idea because my thinking was you could fold only half of it, right? And then you could have like a, like basically have three different aspect ratios. Um, Uh Xiaomi gave no information about it, just that this is their idea. Um, And I thought, again, it looked interesting. I don't know how usable it is, but it looked interesting. Um, And then Lauren Good uh, kind of posted an article about this with just the best headline that sums up this whole trend. Have phones become boring? Well, they're about to get weird. 
And mm-hmm. that's, I think, kind of the cool thing about this. Like, and you, you meant you pulled this out, like in your uh, link post on Six Colors. There's going to be a lot of this stuff that is rubbish that's going to happen in these phones. Oh um, yeah, including like what Samsung's about to do. They're about to put a hole in the front of the phone where they just put the camera. Who knows if that's going to be good or not? But the point is, like this year or maybe next year, there's going to be some stuff that is good. But we're going to go through a lot of weird to get there. But that's fun and exciting because phones have kind of maybe gotten a little bit boring. Yeah, we're going to enter that period where, and I think this is going to be less true of Apple, uh, because Apple is more Mm -hmm. careful about this. This is what we talked about last week, my piece for Tom's Guide about foldable phones and how Apple tends to sit on the sidelines a little bit until it feels like it's really got a good idea, um, because it doesn't feel that pressure to be first out the gate with something that's not very good, but is new. And uh, But a lot of other people are going to buy phones that have super weird features in them, and we're going to go through this cycle for the next you know, year or two, or maybe more, who knows, where everybody's trying out all these different things. And, uh, you know, the phone makers themselves are going to find out based on the reception of them, whether people actually use these features, actually like these features, if they hate these features, they make the phones worse. Um, So you'll end up with even more of the kind of point and laugh Products (laughs) products <laughs> than we usually get. You know, every now and then there's a weird product and everybody just kind of goes, ha, 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 that's ridiculous. We're going to get a lot of those. Uh, and that's what Lauren Good's really saying here is, mm-hmm. is there's going to be experimentation. Experimentation is good. Um, it is going, there will, there will always be some company that is willing to make a product based on a feature that is half baked and uh, n- impractical because they feel like it, it will get them attention and it will, although not necessarily the good kind of attention. And that's just, I mean, the tech industry has been doing that, and I think products in general, but tech in particular, for a very long time. There have mm-hmm. been all sorts of outlandish phones, and before that, computers. And uh, you look back on some of them, and you're, and you're like, what were they thinking? And the answer was, they didn't know what they were thinking. They just were trying stuff to see. And, and sometimes you try stuff, and it works. And that's why they try it, in part. So, uh, yeah, it will be very entertaining to watch. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, like, I know that I completely agree with you, right? Like, a bunch of companies will just jump on this, like Royale, uh, Royoli, and Royal they will make a bad with product. Cheese, yeah. Mm-hmm. But the point, like, but w- that the wider technology needs these companies because it pushes the technology forward. If someone's forcing some company to, like, some display manufacturer to make these displays for them, it's at least beginning the process of going down that road to where it could be a good product. Right, so like I, I think that it, that everybody needs it as well because you never know what's gonna take off, and it might be some weirdo design that like catches the eye of someone somewhere else, and then they make a better version of it. So, I like it because it's interesting, and I applaud these companies for taking these swings, even though most of the time they end up in misses. Uh, but I think 2019, we will remember it. This is the year of the first flexible phones. Yeah, I I draw a line between there are the companies that are really trying to do something unique mm-hmm. and uh and they fail because the tech's not ready yet and they were too, they were too soon they were really enthusiastic but they just couldn't get it together. Yeah. And then there are the companies that are just shamelessly shoveling garbage yeah, of course, into their phones. Yeah, they're just trying to jump on a bandwagon, right? And I respect I respect the first group although I feel bad for them. And, and and I I guess I think you're right in the sense that this is part of the evolution 
of technology is that you get this first generation of tech that somebody, some manufacturer comes up with and they sell it, but it's, they know it's not very good and everybody knows it's not very good, but at least it's new and they'll give it a try. And eventually, like, everybody learns and it gets refined. Um, I think I might argue that if you didn't have, if you only had kind of like the major prestige manufacturers in the game instead of these smaller companies, that... Um, the pace would probably be a little slower because they might be a little more reluctant to put out something that is nonsense just to see what happens. Yep. Um, and and the truth is, like, if, if Apple were the only one, what would happen is that nothing would happen for, like, three years. And then they would be like, ah, now we've got it. And, and, and we wouldn't know whether they'd got it or not because I do think Apple does learn from the mistakes of others. Um, and that's one of the reasons Apple waits around. So, yeah, I think in the end, it's an it's a entertaining time and it's... You know, mostly necessary. Some of it is unnecessary, and those are the ones that are probably the easiest to point and laugh at. But, uh, but no, I think it's I think it's fun. We're entering a period where, if you're a smartphone buyer, the right thing to do may just be to do nothing and sit on the sidelines while this goes on, because that's quite frankly why they're doing it is they're trying to get you off the sidelines to buy new phones by giving you shiny, you know, new features that you didn't know you wanted and you may not actually need. Um, and uh, that's where we are with smartphones now. I think. Um, Jason, I wanted to tell you too. I have a new favorite iPad stand. I've been oh. holding this one for a bit. I didn't want to talk about it until I was completely convinced. But I think I may have found the the perfect iPad stand. Okay, so I've been spending uh, most of my time with the Viazon stand. I yep. did buy that other stand, the Tabitha, Tabitha. that you recommended, yep. which is which can get slightly taller, but I don't like it as much because it's more kind of weird and fiddly to put yep. it in the in the stand. Yep. Um, so here here's before we get to this. So I, I saw your Amazon link in our shared show document, and mm-hmm. I went and looked at it, and mm-hmm. it looks interesting. This this stand, but the the question I have is always the question I'm going to have, which is, does it make the iPad go appreciably high? Because the one yes. problem I have with the Viazon stand is, as much as I like it and I use it all the time, it's not, you know, it, it could be higher. It's not the most ergonomically appropriate uh, height on my table. Yes, 18 inches from the table. It is wow. wild. I can sit at a table now in perfectly straight and the iPad is at my eye height with this thing. Wow. It's called the Clear Look stand. I found it on Amazon. There'll be a link in our show notes. It's Clear Look with a K. Um, even of at it is. <laughs> 18 inches, the stand is surprisingly stable. Like, I can tap on the screen, and look, there is a little wobble, of course, physics, but it's not anything which makes me concerned that it's going to fall over. Um, putting it in, like, t- it's got these, like, it's got an interesting mechanism, right? It's it's kind of like the, uh, the, the Viazon mechanism of, like, clamping on the sides, but it has these two little string things that you pull on the back of the clamps so it like it comes out really easily like you can just pull it apart very easily um also because it's it's much kind of thicker and sturdier uh i can actually put my ipad with the smart keyboard attached to it and fold it around in this stand so i don't need to take it out of the case that i use the only thing i have to do which is slightly frustrating it's the only frustration is i have to take the apple pencil off the side because otherwise it won't clamp in but mm-hmm. because the base of it is metal it just kind of magnetically attaches, so like it doesn't roll. It like it's just there. Um, this I think is the for me is the perfect stand. It's very adjustable. Uh, you can turn it left and right, like move it up and down. Uh, you know, you can kind of like uh, 
like just get it in the right way for you. I'm very, 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 very happy with this stand. All right, and you and you didn't just rush into it. You're actually. I've been like, using you... this for a couple of months. Ooh, wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right, Mike. Well, I, I while you were talking, I bought one. So this we'll is see. the one. I think this is the one <laughs> because it has all of the stuff that makes the Viazon good, right? Like it's nice and adjustable. It's easy to get in and out, but it goes super high. That's good. Yeah, that's good because that's the problem I I have, and and you mentioned it, which is um, ergonomically right. You ideally you want your uh, keyboard at a good height mm-hmm. for your uh, you know ninety degree angle for your elbows and all of that, and then you want the screen to be level with your eyes, and that's a that's a that's almost always going to be a long way off the countertop. And when I'm standing at the bar in my kitchen or sitting, it's, you know, the iPad is is definitely down. I'm definitely looking down, which is not ideal for that situation. So, um, all right, I'll check it out and, and uh, I'll report back and see if I agree or disagree. And that, now I'll have three iPad stands. I can make like a little, <laughs> like, group picture or something or or surround myself with iPads and just keep turning around and there's an iPad everywhere I look, something like that. So we got a slightly different take on Upstream this week because we had some late breaking news before the show um, about a separate non kind of uh, video media streaming service that Apple was apparently working on. There was a report from Cheddar. Cheddar is a kind of BuzzFeed style business reporting like right. a journalism outfit uh i actually really like cheddar as a as it like it speaks in languages and terms that i understand but is reporting on like big business stuff analyst uh-huh. stuff stock market stuff things like that um they reported that apple is apparently planning a gaming subscription service they are citing five sources which are obviously the game developers that Apple has been talking to. Uh, This is a quote from the article on Cheddar. The service would function like Netflix for games, allowing users who pay a subscription fee to access a bundled list of titles. Apple began privately discussing a subscription service of game developers in the second half of 2018, said the people, all of whom requested anonymity to discuss unannounced plans. (sighs) I don't know what I think about this one. I don't like Apple in gaming in general because they just are not good at it. Um, And also there is like, well, what happens here, right? Because this is obviously not going to be all games. So then it's going to be some games. What games get in? How does the revenue get shared? Who is like deemed good enough to be in this? I don't don't like the sound of this on paper. So there's an argument to be made that this is Apple trying to reformulate what games on ios look like because right now what games on ios looks like is um free to play -play. yeah with in-app purchases of Mm -hmm. coins and bundles and clothes and features and things like that and some people love it i mean it works people love it but it is also not a really great experience because then you get kind of nickel and dimed um and i can see apple trying to find another approach i'm not sure i am convinced so i I appreciate that but i'm not sure i'm convinced that this will actually be an approach that solves anything um it's interesting that it's games and not apps so the idea here and they they built that new app store with the with games tab separate from apps tab Mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting so apple really does think of this as a different market from general purpose apps um 
the the devil is in the details. It is very much like uh, when we when we talked about um, if you do any kind of subscription subscription thing, um, it's all about the catalog. It's what's in the catalog. So um, you know, there's a there's a Mac app subscription service, but it's all in the catalog. Do you use those apps? And you know, I've heard mi- mixed things about how that works for developers because people have to use your apps, and your compensation is going to be um, you're going to have more users potentially, but you have lower compensation. So there's lots of questions here, but I can see why Apple is trying to do this potentially, which is can they give game developers a different way to drop their games on iOS that is um, that is not free to play. That is, uh, and I'd imagine this goes hand in hand with a la carte sales. That's the other thing that struck me about this is that there there are sort of two ways that this can flow. This can be games that if you're not a subscriber, you have to pay twenty dollars for, or it's games that are free to play elsewhere, but here you just get unlimited everything. My issue is I, I like I like the proposal that you are pitching, but I don't believe that in the long run it means in-app purchase will go away even from the games that are in the service i think that apple would struggle to convince a lot of the larger publishers who currently have a free-to-play model to drop all in-app purchases because this is a thing in the wider gaming world like even games that you pay for that you straight up pay fifty dollars for try and get you to drop money like extra sure, money. Sure. So that's so, that's part of the question is do they do do they have a realistic view of that where they've created guidelines that say, you know, you can do DLC packs at a certain level, but what we don't want is you having coins in order to enable pl- individual plays. And mm-hmm. like how do you do which is a mess, right? How do you even begin that? It's so uh, I, I look forward over the next week <laughs> to hearing next day or two to hearing from game developers who are reacting to this with uh, skepticism and or enthusiasm. Um, it's I think it's interesting that Apple is trying, apparently trying this uh, because it suggests that they're dissatisfied with the current way that you interact with games on the App Store, which I think is not surprising. And um, but but the big picture for me is like this is another subscription service it it, it's yeah it's from apple like yet another one how many subscription services can one company offer and here will be another one i think it's it's one i think it's one subscription service it's not five Uh uh-huh no this this is the kind of report that makes me much more certain that what apple wants to do is create a subscription service that offers a whole bunch of stuff yeah. mixed together mm-hmm. including magazines and games and, and who knows what else iCloud video. storage mm-hmm. maybe music maybe video yeah i don't think so they're clearly making five or six different offerings i don't think they will sell five or six separate things there may be a couple of bundles there may be one bundle um you know like you can you can get music and video on their own or you can get all of it, which includes magazines and includes games. Because at least to right. begin with, the magazines and game stuff is not going to be that large. I don't think they're going to have a huge offering for either of these because they have to convince larger players in both of those industries to trust them. Um, and I, you know, it's like, okay, here's all the money you make right now. We want you to gamble that away, 
right, by coming to us. This is exactly what we were talking about with the issue that Apple was potentially having with the magazine stuff a few weeks ago, right? Like trying to convince the New York Times to give up the $5 a month that they go they can get from someone and get a fraction of $5 a month instead for the exactly. hope that they'll make it up in volume. I don't know if Apple, even at their size and scale and with the amount of weight they can throw around, can convince a lot of these companies to do this. So they need to prove it. Um, I just am not sure if I am completely comfortable with a Netflix model for apps and games from Apple. Um, I don't know if it's the right thing to do. It reminded me of a couple of things that, like this was the thing that James Thompson was talking about a few years ago. So I'm going to put in the show notes an, uh, an article and an episode of Clockwise, episode 64, where, where James broke this down because this was like a, a, th- a real th- a thought that he was kind of rolling around at the time. Um, James is the developer of PCALC, about the idea of having a Apple subscription service that is for all apps and then like, you know, like a set app um, where you pay a fee and then based upon your usage, you get an amount of money, right? The developer gets an amount of money dependent on how much the app has been used. Um, and this is a good quote from from the article that James wrote on iMall that I liked. He says, as somebody who makes a living from selling his own intellectual property in the form of apps, these sort of wild fever dreams keep me up at night. I live in fear of the streaming model being applied to software and only making a few pennies every time my apps are launched. That's a real, and I think it's it's a risk that I understand somebody in James's position having like if you make a even popular um utility application which isn't used for hours and hours every day what are you going to do like it reminds me of like youtube watch time statistics where you know if you make three minute videos once a week you are not favored by the algorithm or by the money making right. mechanisms so it pushed all youtube videos to like 11 minutes long because uh-huh. If you wanted to be successful on YouTube, that's the way that you had to be. And so so this kind of stuff makes me a little bit skittish for app development because are Apple going to create some kind of class system where only the very what they consider to be the very best gets to go in these subscription services? Mm. So it actually makes it financially viable for the companies that they put in it because you can't have thousands of developers in these because then nobody makes any money. Like, I... I, I don't. I, I'm really in in a lot of different minds about something like this. Yeah, um, it, it's complicated and messy, and I'm sure everybody who's involved with this at Apple, assuming that this story is true, has walked through all of this, mm-hmm. and they're trying to figure out the right balance. But it's really tricky, and there are lots of questions from lots of different angles here. Um, which is why my my initial reaction is I appreciate that they're trying this because they seem dissatisfied in the current state of affairs, yeah. as well as seeing an opportunity here for a service. Which well, see, my argument would be if 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 they're doing this, if one of the reasons they're doing this is because they're unhappy with the problem they created, then <laughs> they need to find a better way to fix it rather than just like deeming other people the 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 joy of maybe getting given some money well, every month. Yeah, I mean they they created it in large part because of the model they chose which was very much the iTunes mm-hmm. single mm-hmm. model for how the App Store works. But unfortunately that is how the App Store works and they didn't create it assuming it would go this way. They very much wanted it to be um you know uh, pricier apps and games yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But that's just not 
how the world has has gone. So, you know, this is them trying to solve that problem in a way, but but seen through the the lens of a company that really wants to add services revenue too. So, yeah, yeah right? It's super fun when you yeah. look back and you see like the two or three decisions that they made that seemed so good at the time that resulted in the situation we're in now. Right, where it's like there were no free apps. It's like, oh, we'll add free apps, and then we'll, but we'll add in-app purchase for them. Uh, but we'll add in-app purchase as well, but only in paid apps. And it's like, oh, we'll put in-app purchase in free apps as well. Like this was the kind of the things that yeah. they decided to do that then got us to the situation that we're that we're maybe in now. But anyway, before we move on from this, um, Yami Rambo at nine to five Mac also discovered in iOS twelve point two in the beta of twelve point two a landing page in the news app that references Apple News magazines for Apple News. Uh, there are mentions of the term bundle subscription in this uh-huh. splash screen, and the image on the landing page shows some publications like Vogue and Bon Appetit, uh, who a lot, and like is also a magazine called Shape. Now, here's the thing. They're not... Okay, they're cool magazines, like great publications. I think ESPN is in there too. Um it's definitely not the New York Times and, and you know, Time right. and, and, you know, maybe some of the magazines you'd really want to put front. But to be honest, they may have not done deals of any of those magazines. They could just be placeholder images because this is not a public thing. Um, GMA just found possible. this. Um, I think it's interesting, too, that people are really jumping on this idea that it's Apple News magazines in, the, in, in one place, but in another place that's referred to as Apple News. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not entirely convinced that Apple News Magazines is really the name of it. It may just be your magazines Apple News subscription. Magazines in Apple News. It's just in Apple News. And, yeah. and the magazines are, are there. Yeah. But it is another subscription that we've been talking about for a while that they seem to be moving forward with. And it just keeps going where we're seeing these subscriptions in the works in lots of different places, which makes us come back to that question what are these? What is the subscription? Is this the Apple One Master subscription? Because nobody, and this is the thing is, there will absolutely undeniably be subscription bundles because there's no way, I, 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 like 99%, I'm going to say here, confidence that I have, that Apple is going to say, oh, would you like to subscribe to our services? You can subscribe to Apple Music. You can subscribe to Apple Video. You can subscribe to iCloud. You can subscribe to Apple News Magazines. You can subscribe to Apple's gaming, whatever it is. Yeah. You can, like, how much confusion is there if they have, like, 10 different subscription products? Well, fundamentally as well, there is a financial incentive to Apple to bundle this because they're paying a credit card processing fee for every single one of these transactions. Exactly, right. So they don't want you to subscribe to six different bundles if they have them, like six different services. They want you to subscribe to it once because they'll probably make yes. more money that way. Yeah, so some combination of this. Now, they might offer, as you said, they might offer some of these separately. Yeah, I think the high-value ones, music and, and, and video, they will they will offer them on their own. Yeah. Um, but everything else that we've been talking about, even including iCloud, these are like add-ons. These are, these are niceties. They got to add a brand name and say, this is what you get, and you mm-hmm. get iCloud storage, and you get... And it's one of those things where, as, a, as a, somebody paying for a two-terabyte iCloud account... I'm kind of anticipating that some of these services, I'm just going to get them. Like that I'm already paying them a monthly fee right. for all of that storage. Right. I have this suspicion, and maybe they'll change the price, but I have this suspicion that they're just going to say, you know, those are the, the, the iCloud account uh, things are going to be 
uh, turned into mm-hmm. a larger bundle of stuff that includes your backup and your photos. Because that those are services too, if you think about it. Like bl- backup, even though we all say iCloud storage, it's like backup and uh, photos are really two different services that they've bundled together. Really, they could have separated them. They chose not to. And then you throw in some more and you've got multiple use cases already going on here. Um, and that, that to me feels like a more likely scenario that they're not going to offer again, whole different sets of subscription bundles, uh, for different things. And you, which four bundles do you want to buy? That's also too confusing. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they do it. It feels like this year is going to be fascinating year tomorrow. As we record this Tuesday, January 29th is Apple results for yep. that holiday quarter where they where they uh, miss the forecast. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the disaster quarter, which will still probably be their second largest quarter ever. It doesn't but... matter. It's a disaster quarter. Yeah, right? like apparently. It is. Because we all know now, we know this, having spoken about this so many times, the the, the pure amount of money is not important. Yep. It, to, it's to, all about to expectations. Game, yeah, to the game that is being the played, the money is not important. It's, it's growth. This will be the quarter that they missed expectations yeah they're going to show a a year-over-year decline in revenue Mm -hmm. they're presumably going to show a year-over-year decline in iphone that Mm -hmm. will be dramatic they'll have more detail that we haven't heard yet that is probably going to make make people depending on what they're looking at even more (laughs) concerned about aspects of their business and also like for a lot of us it will make our brains leak out of our ears when they Right when they start talking about headwinds and all that kind of stuff right but it's going to be a lot of that yes and this is the quarter where they're going to stop reporting unit sales. So we won't mm-hmm. get any unit sales. So there's going to be more residual grousing about that. So it's going to be really interesting. So I, what I'm saying is check back in episode 231 of the Upgrade Program where we will discuss the fallout of that because this is all interrelated and it's kind of fascinating. And uh, and we'll see we'll see what happens next. But we'll find out a lot more tomorrow. Yeah. My bold prediction here, Jason, is... We're not going to get any specific details, but I think that we're going to come away from the call with a with a somewhat clearer idea of what the Apple services story is going forward. I think you're right. I think they're going to, in order to get the scrutiny off of them yep. about this, rather than their kind of typical, um, oh, we got a great pipeline, right? <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like, great, whatever, fill that pipeline. Um I, I think that yeah, you're right. That there, that was my thought too. There needs to be a positive set of headlines. They're going to do a harder sell on services where they're like, we've 100%. got in 2019. You'll see us enter new media areas, and you know, even if they're vague about it because it's Apple, I think they're going to push harder, even harder on services because services has been their whole thing to counteract slowing iPhone sales. It's been that way obviously for like four years now. They've been talking about it, and that of course they're going to put their foot on the gas when it comes to services um they will also probably spend a lot of time on their um on their uh, uh, global geographic breakouts uh in order to say we're doing great in you know these countries and mm-hmm. these regions uh to take some of the load off of china but i think that i think you're right that they're gonna really really push services even more with some details in order to kind of get everybody excited and to calm down about what apple's doing next 
This episode is brought to you by Lunar Display, the makers of the hardware solution that turns your iPad into a wireless display for your Mac. Have you ever looked at your iPad screen and thought to yourself, you're a beautiful display, little iPad. Wouldn't it be amazing if I could use you for even more when I sit down at my Macintosh? Well, it, you, you can. All you need is a Lunar Display. You plug it into your Mac. It's a lovely little dongle. And then your iPad is up and running as a second display. A beautiful display at retina quality, crystal clear image quality, reliable performance. Lunar Display just had a big update. They've like massively improved the performance of their engine uh, and it's better and faster and clearer than ever before. If you have a Wi-Fi connection, you're ready to go, but you can also use USB as well if you're somewhere without Wi-Fi, if you don't have a strong connection. So you'll be able to use your iPad as a second display for your Mac where you can put, so like you're working on something in full screen on your Mac, maybe you're working on some art, but you still want to maybe see some reference materials. Your iPad is right there for you to use. It's really wonderful. I absolutely adore my Luna display that I use with my Mac Mini. I use it every single day. I use it for lots of little things. You know, there's just some stuff that you cannot do in a web browser and iOS. Just You just can't do it. But I can do it with my Luna Display because I just go into my... I open the Luna Display app and I have a Mac there for me to use. So like, for example, stuff with YouTube. Like, so if I want to put... If I want to create a playlist, right, for a, for a YouTube channel... You can't do this stuff on iOS, even in an app. You can't do it in the web browser. You can't do it anywhere because it just doesn't work. But you can, I can do it with my Lunar Display. So I love Lunar Display. It works so seamlessly. I often forget that I'm not using a Mac or that I'm not using something native. And I just find myself using the Lunar Display for like 30 minutes when I only meant to be there for 20 seconds because I kind of just get lost in it because it all works so seamlessly. Listeners of Upgrade can get a 10% exclusive discount on Lunar Display. Just go to L-U-N-A-D-I-S-P-L-A-Y.com, promo code Upgrade at checkout. That is LunarDisplay.com, promo code Upgrade at checkout. Our thanks to Lunar Display for their support of this show and Relay FM. So I actually did this this morning. I was moving some things around from my Apple Notes to Google Docs, right? And on iOS, you lose all your formatting. But you don't when you're on the Mac. So I just went in and I moved something from my Notes document, like a bullet list from my Notes document into Google Docs. 25 minutes later, I was still working on the upgrade <laughs> notes in my with my Lunar Display app instead because I kind of just forgotten what I was doing. So I'm just sitting there just doing it on the Mac instead via my iPad. It was beautiful. So Jason, it is that time of year again where you have assembled a meeting of the minds to create the 2018 Apple report card, the scorecard. Jason, what is this project that you embark upon? So this was um, suggested by uh, a designer, Koi Vin, um, four years ago when I started Six Colors and he emailed me and he said, I have had this idea where you, where somebody asks a bunch of people to rate Apple on a bunch of different categories and then you do it every year. And uh, basically I'm not going to do it, but you could do it. And I thought, okay, that's a good idea. Let's do that. Um, and it's kind of a lot of work because you got to compile a list and you got to ask people and then you got to check and see that nobody actually responded and then you got to email them again and then you got to do it again and remind people because it's happening over the holidays at the end of the year and everybody I'm asking is very busy doing their own stuff. 
And then in the end, you get back uh, not only their votes, which is how the report card is compiled, but there's a little field for people to put in their thoughts. And some people put in lots and lots and lots of thoughts. So I ended up with uh, 30,000 words of thoughts from people. Um, And I end up pulling out little quotes here and there, and I leave the rest of it because it's just too much. It's, It's great color and I'm glad that they presented it to me but um you know I don't want to publish a 30,000 you know separate 30,000 word thing um you know I might I might post a more extended verbatim replies later uh depending on how people feel about that but um but for now it's it's a uh, basically the idea is um how do people who spend a lot of time thinking about and observing apple how, what are their perceptions about Apple in uh, a given year, in 2018 in this case? And also we, that gives me the opportunity to compare that now to previous years and see sort of how people are feeling. So it's not scientific or anything like that. It is, you know, what I don't want, I keep expecting that somebody's going to complain about it and say, you know, this is dumb. This is just what the the commentators think mm-hmm. it's like yes that's the entire point is what do the commentators think what do the people who spend a lot of time thinking about apple and its business what are they feeling about apple from year to year so it's it's a uh, kind of a group a summary report card about the general drift of sentiment about apple from uh this year 55 people who write and talk and in some cases work with apple um, or for, you know, it, it, it's, yeah, it's a pretty good group. There's a list at the end. So that's the idea is we're trying to get a, a sense of the sentiment of, uh, how was Apple's year? Um, and how did that change from the year before? And maybe are there any trends over time? And that's, that's really the goal of it. It's not a definitive anything. Um, also I don't vote in the survey. I, it really is just meant to ref- reflect the 55 people I asked to participate. So we're going to go through uh, the the categories. We're going to talk about the scores, how they've changed, and then me and you can discuss them. And we have some quotes as well that that we've pulled out uh, of the article, so we can so we can add more color, um, as mm, as you would say, indeed. Jason Snell, um, to this. So we'll we'll go in order of the of the article itself. So we'll start start with the Mac. The Mac got an overall B minus grade, which is up from a C last year. Which kind of makes sense. I, I think Casey List kind of summed this up quite beautifully with the word roller coaster, uh, as it's <laughs> been for, for 2018 with the Mac. And I mean, it, you know, it really, this all kind of came to head in October, I think. Um, by that time, we'd assumed we were going to see everything we're going to see this year, right? Whatever came out in the October event, that was the end of it. And there was a lot tied up in the hopes and dreams for it, right? Like, what is the cheap laptop? Will there be a Mac Mini? Will we maybe get a surprise about the Mac Pro? And are they going to do anything else about the laptops? We got all those right. answers. So I think the part of the roller coaster is there were ten, there was 10 months of speculation about the Mac and waiting. And basically all of our answers came in October. Um, and this is, you know, there was a lot of praise in the article for the Mac Mini, but calls of it being a little too late for the MacBook Air. And it kind of, whilst being a good computer, is too expensive. Um, and, and I think you know, expensive is a theme throughout the entire uh, scorecard, the report For card. Sure. I mean, everybody knows this. Um, and there's also lineup confusion from Christina Warren. She says, I honestly don't know why the 13-inch MacBook Pro with Touch Bar is even being sold. 
Yeah. Yeah. She says, and later she says, I just don't get it. <laughs> like, because it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And Christina also said, I didn't put all of it in because she wrote a lot. She was, it was great. Um, she said, the other challenge is that um, their competitors, you know, on the PC side at the low end, and she works for Microsoft and developer relations, but I, I do trust her judgment. She's, she points out that there are a lot of premium feeling laptops on the PC side that are way cheaper than what Apple is selling. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. Apple's never going to be cheap, but uh, she's just pointing out it's kind of, they're, they're in a very weird place uh, given the widening gulf between what Apple charges and what its competitors charge. Microsoft is also making really interesting premium hardware. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that is priced similar to what Apple prices it at. Yeah. That's the thing. It's, it's, the, it's the Asus's of the world that are, yeah. that are not charging 1000 for or something, but in, instead charging 600 so Gabe Weatherhead says the Mac quality is slowly turning back towards something Apple can be proud of. Do you agree with that statement? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things we focus so much on the MacBook and how that the their choices in the MacBook line uh, in 2016 are still kind of reverberating. When you say MacBook, do you mean all laptops? I mean all the Mac, all the MacBooks. Okay, yeah, great, all the laptops. Cool. Um, I think it's fair to say that if you took them out of the equation, which some people said is like, let's leave that aside for a second, and the rest of the the Mac stuff is pretty great. And even within the MacBook uh, line, there are people who are very focused. It's it, There's definitely a split between people who are like, it seems like this third generation keyboard has solved a lot of the major problems. And now it's, yes, there are ones that fail, but it's much less common. And then there are other people who are saying, oh, no, it's still a disaster. Mm-hmm. And that's just a matter of perspective, a matter of who's got what information. I don't know. But some people some people feel like, at the very least, the MacBook line is um, turning around, even if they haven't solved all the problems yet. And that the MacBook Air is a good example of Apple starting to do some iteration to make it... Uh, to solve because i mean all of us i think uh perceive that macbook air as being a product that exists because they didn't get it right in 2016 that they thought the macbook air was going away and um it didn't because of all the issues that they had and so that maybe that's a positive sign too so there's definitely some feeling some sentiment that um apple is addressing this issue but slowly addressing their their hardware quality slowly and there's more hardware talk later in the survey I think that among all the categories uh, for people that respond to the survey and also listeners for this show, this is the category that the most is to play for in 2019, the Mac. Yeah, I will say the Mac, you know, the Mac went up half a point. It, it, did, it did go up from a C to a B minus, and that, oh, was, sure. uh, and that was down to the Mac Mini, the Mac Mini. and the MacBook Air. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Mac Mini, I yeah, think, those... especially, right? Everybody loves the Mac Mini. Yeah. No, no, I, you know, it, 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 the, the, the MacBook Air uh, still has some questions about it, right? Like, it still suffers from the keyboard, right? If you don't like the keyboard, well, you're out of luck because it's the same keyboard that's on the MacBook Pros, probably, or similar enough, uh, and it's highly priced. But my thinking is, right, with this, when it went with the statement that I made there, is this is the year for the Pro stuff, so we're going to see the Mac Pro, or we should. Could be, probably should be, iMac Pro updates. And are they going to do anything with the MacBook Pro? Yep. Like that, that, and those three products probably matter the most to this in, the group of individuals that, that you're spoke, speaking to. Because even if they don't buy these products, they understand the importance of them. 
right? That like if you really kill it on the pro side, everyone's going to benefit over the next few years because the technology will trickle down. Um, and so I'm, I'm really keen to see what Apple addresses in June because that's the time when if we're going to see anything, we'll probably see all of this at WWDC, even if it's not for sale, right? Like this is when they will talk about it because this is the market that they're selling those products to. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I'm I'm not entirely convinced of what is influencing the opinions of this group in terms of the Mac, but definitely there were positive things in the Mac this year, and it showed in the survey with the second largest improvement of any category. So we move on to the iPhone, uh, which I think naturally uh, is down from an A grade to B plus this year. Um, I don't think it ever would have been possible for Apple to kind of maintain the performance year over year because... I will tell you... That if you look in the history of the survey, um, the the TikTok uh, approach to iPhone models is in the survey too. If yes. you have a major year with a major change, the score is a lot higher than in the off year where there aren't as many changes. Now you could say with the 10R, there actually this was not quite the same kind of thing, but uh, it's it's certainly you lose um, you're you're going to go down year over year to use financial terms. Uh, just because of that, that the 10 was so exciting. Uh, but there's a lot else going on around the iPhone that people are concerned about. I would make a guess that without the 10R, this grade would have been lower. Yes, I think I think absolutely it would have been. There was definitely a lot of praise for the 10R in uh, the survey and a lot of complaint about um, the uh, the pricing. So, you know, as well as the pricing, I think probably the main thing that people were feeling from looking through the the report is just that it was a bit of a boring year for, in, in most instances. Um, I like that Shahid Kamal Ahmad, who's a host on Remaster here at Relay FM, says we probably hit peak iPhone. And he might be right. Like, the iPhone 10, like, that's probably going to be it for a while, right? Like, it's, it's like, wow, that was an incredible year. It's like, okay feel that because we're probably in for this design and this style for for quite a few years right which is how we saw with the iphone 6 um i i expect that our iphones are going to look and act very much like the 10 probably for the next three years at least um because there's only so much that apple is willing to or can do right right uh federico vatici thinks that apple is losing their advantage in mobile photography and quickly what do you think about that well, this is the this is the question about um, about the camera, and my Macworld piece last week was about that <laughs> too. And yep. I actually I actually referenced Federico. I, I said some people I know say that the iPhone doesn't have the punch that the Pixel Three does. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's Federico, Federico has soured on on smart HDR. We've been talking about this a lot on Connected yeah, recently. On Connected, people can listen to it there. It's definitely the case. And and then there are other people who who think. Uh, that smart HDR has a lot of advantages in certain circumstances and then in others, not so much. But I think it's undeniable when you look at what Google did with Night Sight, which is something that is entirely software. I mean, yes, there's camera hardware there, but they rolled it all the way back to the original Pixel. Mm -hmm. So it's the Pixel 3, 2, and original Pixel all got Night Sight. And the idea there is that that is really smart software that notices you're trying to take a picture in the dark and says, would you like to use Night Sight? At which point it does multiple exposures, extended exposures, uh, does some machine learning, processes it, does it all together and makes a uh, picture that looks like it was shot um, if not in the day, in a much better lit location than was actually shot. And the Apple photos are just kind of noisy and dark. And that's an example of Google pushing software 
features to improve photography. And that's the kind of feature that I would expect from Apple, right? I would expect Apple to say, it's too dark here. Let me help you either by asking or by just doing. And uh, Google did it and Apple didn't. And it does show you a sign that although Apple, it's it, this is a recurring theme of uh, this survey and of all of 2018, which is this feeling like Apple continues to push its hardware in lots of amazing ways successfully. And then on the software side, there's just something missing. I really wonder how much this might be a maps problem, right? Like I think of this as like a maps situation where Google just got a head start and that head start is going to keep them with an advantage for a while. And and I wonder about what Apple can do. I mean, they don't have to beat Google, right? They don't have to beat them, but I think they have to get closer. And I just wonder how much closer they can get. So my gut feeling, and this is based on nothing, and I'm sure there's somebody working at photography at Apple who would deeply disagree with this, but my gut feeling as an outsider is that right now, Google is much more focused on crowd-pleasing photography features. And Apple still is carrying around some cultural baggage about the fact that professional photographers use iPhones. That historically their audience is people who are designers and photographers and other people in uh, professional creative spaces. And as a result, Apple continues to be focused on color gamut and on having the most accurate photo instead of the most pleasing photo. Right, that these photos aren't real, right? And that they want real. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is... Most of the iPhone audience is not somebody who cares about accuracy. Uh, they care about pretty photos. And I, 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 I get, this is just a theory of mine, but that's my theory is that Night Sight doesn't exist on iPhones, not because Google got some kind of a head start in terms of this technology, because Apple's been doing software massaging of photos for a long time. They don't talk about it. They don't put it in your face as much as Google does. They just have it be magic like smart HDR is. But there's something missing where they're like, no, we don't want to do that. We don't want to get in their way. We don't want to take a photo that doesn't look real. And so we're just going to let it go. And that's smart. Uh, the, the night shot thing is the one where I look and I go, I think you missed it. I think I think if you're Apple, you missed the application there, which is if somebody's in a bar with their friend and they want to take a shot, they want it to show up and look good, even if it's not well lit, even if it's not accurate, they want it to look good. And Google nailed that. And Apple, I am convinced, could have done it and chose not to. Maybe they didn't think of it or maybe they actually chose not to. But I think that that this is a like an entire podcast episode in a nutshell. But I, I do wonder if that is behind some of Apple's decisions here, where Google doesn't care. They're just making crowd placing decisions. And Apple cares, uh, which is getting in its way, which again, if you're somebody who cares about what Apple cares about is great. I just question in a broad consumer product like the iPhone, whether that might be the wrong, the wrong approach to take. So I think the discussion around uh, price was probably most keenly felt in the iPhone category. So Aline Sim says Apple needs to reevaluate its marketing strategy. Uh, market strategy. Their current pricing is cost prohibitive for many people. Uh, Merlin Mann says I feel like the iPhone's price umbrella is developing some copious holes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean that's definitely one of the big stories of last fall is that people are increasingly uncomfortable with Apple's pricing, especially on the iPhone. And could, we don't know, could have been part of the issue that led to them uh, not getting where they wanted to be with the iPhone sales. Yeah, we don't could know. Be. 
So we're on to the iPad, A minus, no change. I think this one is very simple. Amazing hardware, nothing on software. Um, like I, I don't remember what I graded it as when I gave you my scores, but I remember you you specifically picked that out as when you were surprised how I graded it. But it was because of this. Like I just think that this is the best iPad hardware that's ever been made, but the software just that did nothing and it needs to do something. So Carolina Milanese says the biggest issue Apple has is perception of whether or not the iPad Pro is as good as a computer. Mostly that perception is driven by software rather than hardware, which is they they did some interesting hardware stuff. They put USB-C on it, but all the discussion was around the fact that you couldn't access an external hard drive. Whether people actually need to do that or not is not the point, but it, it showed holes in the iPad. Yeah, unsurprising. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is um, these surveys are a measure of the vibe, the overall vibe. And while there are individual outliers, what what we're really doing here is saying this was the overall vibe of 2018. And it's clear uh, that the iPad, um, that was the takeaway, was I think I think what I said, and I've seen it in a couple other places as well, the hardware is willing, but the software is weak. That's basically it. That this, this is spectacular hardware, and everybody is waiting for the other shoe to drop. And like in a year where you would expect maybe the iPad with the iPad Pro, and I will point out, and I think some people maybe forgot about this, that sixth-generation iPad that's cheap, which is a great deal. And a, a few people mentioned it, and I'm very glad that they did, because it is... Uh, it feels like a, a long said, time ago that that product was released. I, I had several people say... Uh, you know, the best deal in Apple's entire portfolio. Stephen Hackett is quoted in the story, but a couple people said that. Like, if you put that together, you think this is a really banner year for the iPad, and yet its score, uh, its average actually went down about a tenth, but it's basically the same score as it was a year ago. Why is that with great new iPad Pro hardware and the new iPad? And the answer is the software, because the Apple chose to take the year off in terms of the iPad, and it hit them because the software, the iPad software story in 2018 um, was not good enough for the hardware. We can't round this category out without the quote from Federico. Uh, Federico Vitici says, Apple needs to devote plenty of attention to advancing the iPad platform in 2019. And you've got to hope. I mean, it feels like a foregone conclusion, right? The iOS 13 has a huge iPad focus purely because of this hardware. Like, you you would be a extremely disjointed company if you created hardware of this caliber without beefing up the software, right? Like at that point, you feel like a PC manufacturer, right? Where it's like the hardware and software don't interact. It's just we make amazing hardware and hope that Microsoft will do something to Windows to make it more like uh, yeah. b- like more desirable to people because it, this is so good but the so- nothing nothing literally nothing changed that was yeah. specific like there are still bugs in like the files app that were in iOS 11 yep right and so you would i have my 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 expectations are set very high for the iPad this uh with this coming WWDC but i do also feel confident that we will see something like I, I feel confident about that, um, just because I, you know, it's like like everybody in this. Again, I'm sure you would agree, right? Like I feel like I have observed enough about Apple over time to see the seeds being planted, right? That like you would not make the next this current iPad so good if you were not going to do more with it. Yep. Especially yep. with Photoshop coming. No, it, it is uh, as we speculated at the time. 
possibly one of the great examples of seeing the the effect of Apple's longer lead time for hardware design. And that if we believe all of the reports, you know, this hardware was in obviously in the design uh, pipeline for a while. And early last year, there were reports that Apple had decided to take its foot off the gas in terms of iOS and Mac OS in order to focus on stability and yep. and getting the old iPhones to work better and, you know, all of that stuff. And uh, I think it's very hard not to read that as they knew this hardware was coming. They were going to do software to take advantage of it. And they decided that they couldn't do that because they needed to get their house in order. They needed to increase stability, make the old phones work better. And so they chose to focus on that and let the iPad kind of twist in the wind for six months. And um, that's where we are right now. Mm -hmm. So hopefully they uh, they will pivot to an iPad year in 2019. But that that seems to be the story here. And uh, and uh, it it in what otherwise I think would have been a banner year for the iPad. It's why everybody kind of is you know it didn't go down but it was like people felt really mixed like it should be great but and there's this big question mark hanging over the whole thing so yeah Yeah. we'll see 2019 we have yet to get to the uh, best performing product category Uh, we're going to do that just after we take a break and thank care of for their support of upgrade care of is a monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamin and supplement packets right to your door Uh, me and tiff have fun with this because it's a vitamin right vitamin is is what you're probably used to hearing but i call them vitamins Uh, you may have wondered at some point whether you're getting all the vitamins that you need and you'd be right to wonder because it turns out Carov say 90% of people are lacking in at least one vitamin or nutrient in their life. And Carov can help you figure out what you need for a fun online quiz that asks about your diet, your health goals, and your lifestyle choices. And it takes just five minutes to complete and will work out exactly what you need. I went through the quiz with Carov and I loved it. Uh, it has a great personality to it, which I greatly enjoy. It's fun without being like kind of overbearing. And I liked the questions it was asking. It gave me nice little nice little pictures to choose from. And then at the end of it, gave me this great like personalized recommendations for the stuff that it, wants to, that it would send me with all of the reasons for why based upon the answers that I gave. So if I kind of read something was like, oh, I don't think this was right, I could go in and change it to maybe match a little bit more of what I was looking for or what I felt was needed. So it's really cool. Because Carov know that you're busy, they'll send you your vitamins right to your door in personalized, easy-to-remember daily packs, which is super handy for traveling too because you just grab the packs that you need and take them on the go. If you have dietary needs, if you're vegan or vegetarian, they can totally cater to that as well. It's a new year. New year, new goals, and if you have some health-related goals for 2019, Care-of will help make sure it sticks by helping you build a routine that's made just for you. You can take advantage of a special New Year's offer for 50% off your first month of personalized Care-of vitamins. Go to TakeCareOf.com and enter the code AHOY50 at checkout. That's TakeCareOf, T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E-O-F.com, promo code ahoy A-H-O-Y-5-0 for 50% of your first month of vitamins. Our thanks to Kerov for their support of this show and Relay FM. Vitamin. 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 Vitamins. Vitamin. 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 Vitamins. I feel like that's one of the words I can't let go. Vitamin. I feel like that's one of them. Put vitamin in your beta. Vitamins in your betas. I don't say, see, beta, I let that go. I say beta because yeah. I prefer the way that sounds. But to my ears, vitamin just doesn't sound right. Did you say herb or herb? 
Hub. Herbal. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> okay. Anyway, as we learn from the upgradies, people love the Apple Watch Series 4. And the Apple Watch scored an A grade for this year, up from an A minus. It wasn't the biggest jump of any category, but it is the highest scoring category, right? There is there is no other straight A grade uh, across yes. the board. Highest and- scoring category, and I'll point out that uh, it, wa- it was the highest scoring overall. It was the highest scoring, obviously, in the five main Apple product categories. Um, when I started doing this survey in 2015, it was by far the lowest scoring wow. in all of those wow. categories. And uh, it has progressively improved every single year. So people have come around on the Apple Watch. There's some great quotes for this one, which I think perfectly sum it up. So Christina Warren says, Honestly, after a very shaky start, the Apple Watch has become one of the most consistent and exciting products in Apple's lineup. It's best in class and keeps getting better. Federico Vettici called it the highlight of the year. And Charles Arthur says that adding the ECG function to the Apple Watch Series 4 is very clever. Only good stories come out of it, which I can 100% agree with, right? Like, there's no bad, nothing bad comes out of having that. And you end up with more of these stories, which Apple loves for good reason of, the Apple Watch saved my life, right? Like, you cannot have better marketing for your product than stories of it literally saving the lives of its users, right? It yeah. writes itself. It's perfect. Of course, this isn't everything, right? So Fraser Spears pointed out something, like I think, reminded me of a, a, a complaint when the Apple Watch came out with with was is, is it version five of WatchOS? I think it's WatchOS five, uh, right? Yes, WatchOS five. Yes, because one of them got one of the Apple Watches got two versions, didn't it, of, of WatchOS? Um, yes, yes. The original they turned it over very fast. Yes, and, because uh, they, they realized how people actually want to use the product was not the yeah. way that Apple first anticipated. Uh, so Fraser says the new watch faces have a number of confusing and inconsistent elements and could use a bit of fresh thinking. Um, and then we have two quotes from developers, so from Marco Arment. WatchOS's limitations on third-party apps and our inability to develop third-party watch faces still hold us back from taking full advantage of the excellent hardware. And from James Thompson, it's time to unlock UIKit apps for third-party developers so we can finally take advantage of it all for ourselves. I mean, I like this because it's like users are very happy with the product, but developers remain frustrated because they know they can do more to make it even better than it currently is, which I think only spells good for the Apple Watch, right? Like people love it already, but there is still untapped potential. Yeah, exactly right. And and I, I choose to be encouraged by the fact that the developers in the panel basically said... Um, we want to use this more. Well, because I think that wasn't the story a couple of years ago. It was like, it would exactly. be nice, but they weren't like hungry for it. But now I think developers want it. And they it. tried. Yeah. They tried and it was no good. And they're like, forget it. And now it seems like um, they are interested in unlocking that power now that they've seen what the new watch is capable of, yep. which is exciting. And I'm glad that Fraser Spears uh, mentioned that the watch faces, which I wrote a thing about and we've talked about, which is that... Inconsistency of watch faces is also uh, something that people brought up that the uh, John Gruber mentioned it. And I don't think I quoted him, but like the new faces only work on the new watches and the old faces only work like design wise work They you can put them on the the old faces on the new watches, but they don't really make sense. And there's a need for a real rethink of how it does uh, faces, which I'm hopeful will be a 2019 thing. What watch face are you using right now? 
Um, it is one of the I, I I go back and forth between the two um, new faces, the infograph the, ones. Yeah, the two infographs. Mm-hmm. I go back and forth between them, and I'm not happy with either of them. I would really much rather have a more capable version of Modular, which was my favorite. But Modular, I grew Gruber. Modular on the big watch face. What they did to it, like it doesn't it doesn't work. So mm-hmm. I'm mostly on the analog hand infograph face, okay. and I have the uh, other infograph face right next to it, so I can swipe to it if I want more data. And I'm I'm sort of doing a two face lifestyle now. Hmm. That's weird. That's like a Batman villain. And we move on to the forgotten product, the Apple TV. Uh, it is D plus down from a C. This is not a yeah. surprise because this is a product in limbo. It's yeah, rhymes exactly. with the iPad. I mean, the hardware isn't amazing, but the hardware exists for software that doesn't exist yet. It it, it is waiting for the streaming service. It is waiting. Um, you know, like Fraser Spears says stagnant. June Darrymple says there's a lot missing. Christina Warren says the price is ridiculously high, and it is compared to competitors because the Apple TV in 2019, in 2018, all it does is what what the Fire TV does, what Chromecast does. The future of TV apps? No, it's not. That no. was wrong. And Apple tried. And to make a box which could have capability to play games on it and stuff, they needed more power. And nobody uses it, by and large. It, it is a... That was a miss. That was a swing and a miss from Apple. Yep. Um, so I think not only this year will we see, uh, obviously, the, the, the streaming software to as the other shoe to drop with this whole product line. We may well see a better focused cheaper device um we'll see or maybe apple just completely goes down the route of trying to get their services everywhere as opposed to releasing something cheap themselves um but i think it would be remiss of them to try and at least give it a go to create just something that plugs directly in the back of the tv that you could sell for for 35 40 dollars something like that mm-hmm. poor apple tv poor it's apple not good. tv um, so we're out of the hardware, and let's talk about Apple's favorite category, at least, which is services. Services are a C plus down from a B minus, and this is a, as you mentioned in the article, it's a mixed bag, which seems mostly kind of just like informed from people's personal experiences. But that's a bad thing, yeah. right? Yeah, there it's all over the place. I will say when this survey started, uh, people's view of Apple and cloud services was, um, I think, much it was much more negative. Um, but even then, there was the sense like that Apple was getting it together. And I think if you look back five, six, seven years and how everybody thought about Apple services and how they think of them today, um, like Apple services are way, way better. They have come a long way in, a, in the last few years. They're far more reliable. Um, I am struck by the fact that there are definitely people on the panel who will never forgive Apple for what they were like seven years ago in cloud services and we'll never trust Apple. And that's, I think it's interesting to look at the long memories of people who've used Apple's cloud services. Like I had somebody say, um, I will never trust uh, Apple's photo syncing service. And I've been using Apple's photo syncing service since they launched the photos app. And I think it's great, but that person had a bad experience and will never come back or it will take them a very long time. And I think that's part of Apple's challenge with a lot of their services stuff is they're, um, they're still trying to live down the past. This is the um, down a little bit from last year, this score, but it's higher than the two previous years. So I think there is this sense that like people are 
not super trust trusting of Apple in terms of services, uh, begrudgingly acknowledging that they've gotten better, but that there are lots of uh, issues still. Um, and there are a lot of different services too. So I think a lot of people lumped Siri in here to say that Siri, like they liked all the other services, but Siri was a disappointment. The people, you know, there, there's... It's it's a mixed bag for sure, but I think it's interesting that Apple is clearly making progress and yet not necessarily winning everybody over. Anything that touches the internet, right? That's the services, and I just think that they're not. There's a lot of places that they are not doing a great job in that for right. Like yeah, I if I, if I had to say there's an overarching uh, comment, it would be that Apple's trying to do a lot, and it's unclear what level of focus in general, but especially in services, what level of focus they have on the individual products. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, is for a company that is saying services are the future, I think there's an overall feeling that maybe it feels like a lot of Apple services are not a focus and do not improve. Whereas Google is iterating their services for one example, all the time is the perception and that Apple uh, will let their services get dusty for a while. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, but at the same time, you get something like, um, you know, so Stephen Hackett says things are better than ever, but iCloud sync should be bulletproof. Uh, Dr. Drang said, um, the two terabyte iCloud plan is a better value than Dropbox. I'm nervous about switching over, but I think 2019 is the year. And I know people who have dropped Dropbox for iCloud drive, which is amazing. Uh, and, I'm not one of those people. You know, uh, more but, power to you. But I like, get it. But I get it mm-hmm. because it is it is a lot better. And the photo service I use, and it is great. And I have had nothing but good experiences with it. And I think they do a very good job with it. Um, so it's, it's, again, mixed bag. It's all over the place. You know, and of course, right, this is the thing, like you think about like the how, how big this this is overall, like what how many issue areas this touches. Apple Music, right? Jessica Dennis thinks it's like solidly okay music service, which it is, right? It's kind of all it needs to be. But then Carolina Milanese says, and she brings up a great point, right? You think about Apple and the services, Apple Music and Echo devices. That happened in, in 2018, and it shows a change in Apple that, as she says, playing by different rules going yeah. forward. Yep. HomeKit got a C- minus with no change, and this one is not a surprise to me, and this one is very mixed in the responses. Uh, I think there's a no change because nothing really happened. Well, it's the highest score HomeKit has ever gotten by uh, so little that the grade didn't really change. Right. Um, it is, But it is the highest average score that it's gotten. And this is one of those cases where I was surprised at how negative the comments are because one, my experience, I would have rated it way higher than the panel did. The panel's medium grade for it was two. It makes me wonder if the panel is split in two groups, groups that use it and groups who don't bother using it and think it's bad because HomeKit's gotten a lot better. Yeah, I think one of the big differences is, are you in the United States of America? Well, Because that, that the amount be. of products available to you are very different. Like So like Federico says, like me... Apple needs to convince me to stay on their platform in 2019 because Google and Amazon are becoming more and more compelling by the day. And it's like, I know I look at the the, the products that are available to me and hmm. there aren't many. Like I can see that Apple is doing stuff to make like software certification better, but a lot of the big companies that you have products from, we don't have. And I'm kind of, as we spoke about, like remember a few weeks ago, we were talking about like plugs, plugs that I, and I would love to have a plug that I could use on HomeKit and, and on the Echo. And my options were for companies' names that I've never heard of before, right? Sure. Like, I can't get Belkin products with that have HomeKit support. 
you know, like a lot of the cameras I can't, I can't use. So, and, and again, it's like, what can you put in your home? If you live in a house, maybe you feel a bit differently if you live in an apartment, right? It's like I can't put security cameras or I can't put right. uh, the like the locks that you have because I don't have well, the ability to do that. So, you know, it's like there is a lot of personal experience that comes from this. Maybe that's the split is there's the split between people who have who are in a circumstance where it all has started to work. And I am in that where yep. like it's all started to work now. And I'm like, oh, HomeKit isn't is a thing now where it was previously not a thing. <laughs> and then if you're in a place whether it was uh, a geographic location or in terms of your uh, housing situation, where it's still not a thing, then it's still not a thing. And mm-hmm. you get, I, I, just, I was struck by this. Uh, and I think what says it all about HomeKit is it's the highest score it's ever received. It's still not a very good score. So like progress, yet a lack of enthusiasm. Yep. And as, uh, yeah, as Carolina Milanese said, um, puzzling right like nothing has been happening for a while was is this not a priority for apple and what's going on and again that comes up in a bunch of areas where we view apple as this and i think maybe there's some truth of this we view apple as this enormous and enormously successful company and uh sometimes when you look at what they're doing you start to wonder if what they really are is a an, an enormously successful hardware design system with a struggling but okay software uh, manu- you know, software organization and then a whole bunch of poorly funded poorly staffed <laughs> um, not focused on ancillary businesses where Apple's uh, DNA says we have to own this and do our own thing but they refuse to actually prioritize yeah. that stuff. Yeah. And HomeKit's a great example, right? Where it's like, Apple did HomeKit because Apple didn't want to seed this market to Amazon and Google. But it does feel like Apple also didn't do HomeKit right and is still trying to live it down. And it's unclear that they've actually turned it around. So, they yeah. started wrong with their like chip certification the way that they were doing yeah, it right. before. Oh, yeah. But then they changed it, right? iOS 12 changed exactly. it. And, and that's why... There are There's more products, here. but uh-huh. like it's going to take more time still. Yep. Um, yep. Hardware reliability, B plus down from A minus. And oh boy, this is where the MacBook keyboards, this is the effect. This is where it was. This is where yeah. people were talking about it. Um, David Sparks says, I realized recently that I no longer take Mac hardware reliability for granted, which I like, right? Like I like Ouch. that phrase. And then, of course, let's, let's, let's run through the ATP, boys. So Marco <laughs> says, The continued problems with the MacBook and MacBook Pro keyboards, despite the reductions from 2018's keyboard membrane, tarnish their reputation in a big way. John Syracuse says, The butterfly keyboard really has to go. And Casey says, I'm not calling for anyone's head to roll, but I do think there's a legitimate problem here that needs to be addressed. This is a sore point. I think it's telling. So 2016 is really when the the new MacBook Pros came out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the MacBook was out earlier. I think it's telling that if you look at my uh, ch- my results over time, Apple's perceived hardware reliability among the panel has dropped every year. Yep. So this was a 4.4 average in 2015. It's now a 3.8. Not horrible. It's still a B plus. But I do think there's something in the fact that over the last four years, as the new MacBooks rolled out, 
uh, especially, that the perception of the reliability of Apple's hardware has uh, has dropped from basically a straight A to a B plus, from a 4.4 to a 3.8. It is, to me, meaningful. This is the category they should always score highest on. This is what they should be and have been good at. Apple make great hardware. The median score among my panelists, my 55 panelists, was a four. And I think that that may be telling, too, that um, that even people who feel like, and I, ha- I had several of them in the survey, like they, they bank on Apple hardware, they don't have any problems with it. Even among that group, there's this effect that's very much what David Sparks said, which is, even if I'm feeling good, there's something wrong because of especially the uh uh the the keyboard but it's it's more than that um uh, peter cohen my uh, former colleague at macworld back in the day uh did a nice list which was iphone 7s returned in large quantities thanks to manufacturing problems that rendered them unable to work on cellular networks macbook keyboards continue to fail despite three redesigns and apple stores were choked with people rushing in to get those batteries replaced mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. these are all signs uh, that are partly a function of Apple's products' popularity, but it's also a function of the fact that Apple just didn't engineer those products um, to be reliable enough. So it's definitely, you know, this is about as much uh, as much about perception as reality. That's the deal with a survey. But I can tell you that among people who carefully watch Apple, uh, their opinion of Apple's hardware has declined, in terms of reliability, has declined every single year since I started the survey in 2015. Then on the flip side, software quality went from a C- to a B-, and it should have. iOS 12, especially, and to uh, a degree, Mojave, MacOS Mojave, had a focus on stability, and this showed. Charles Arthur says, iOS 12 was a great improvement for stability and speed. Mojave has been a quiet update. I haven't noticed anything from it, but good software is when you don't notice it. And Federico Vitici says, iOS 12 is the best version of iOS I've tested in years. The work Apple put into optimizing performance on older hardware truly shows. Yeah, this is, um, for all of our comments about the iPad, this is the other side of that, which is they did, and, and people, individual, I had individual people with individual gripes about iOS or Mojave, but on the big picture, I think everybody in the panel pretty much agreed that last year was shaky. Again, not saying that everything's perfect, but I think what you see, because the score was a 3.4, it went down last year to a 2.7 average and back up to a 3.4. I think what you're seeing there is 2017 was really shaky. The feeling was those updates, iOS 11 uh, especially, were shaky and people were like, well, what is Apple doing? There were a lot of bugs. There were a lot of weird things going on. And when Apple decided we're going to slow it down and we're going to focus on stability and getting old phones to run better and all of that, um, the panel at least felt like they came through. And that although there's some frustration about where they're going and how, how fast they're going to get there, there, there was generally an acknowledgement that they, it, it did pay off in focusing on that stuff. Yeah, and uh, uh, Stephen Hackett points out that he has some concern for the future of macOS. Right, that the, yeah. the apps, the Marzipan apps, are not good Mac apps, and that maybe that is a thought. Right, that you have to think about that. What do you think about? Yeah, that? that that's true. Software quality does include those new uh, Marzipan apps in Mojave that are generally not unanimously, but generally thought of by a lot of people to be inferior. 
Um, and that that's just an open question, right? Is what does that mean? Because it's entirely possible that they are just a work in progress and that what the what they ship in 2019 will be um, much better. Uh, it's also possible that no, that's what they intend to ship. <laughs> uh, I don't believe that, but it is an open question. So I, I get the concern for the future, um, especially since, to be honest, you know, we're we're leaving the year of stability and entering a year of potentially uh, huge change. And so does software quality suffer in a year of change? I would argue that it almost certainly does, right? Because it seems to me that the way that you keep the quality up is by slowing way down and focusing on tightening all the screws. Um, and 2019 doesn't seem like a screw tightening year, right? It seems like a add a whole bunch of new stuff and there are going to be bugs and it's going to be weird. And uh, it's natural to view that with trepidation, I think. All right, there are a couple of, of more categories that we'll round out real quickly, but we'll do that um, after we thank our final sponsor for this episode, and that is Pingdom, the company who make website performance monitoring super easy. Everybody loves going to fast, available websites. You want stuff to load quickly and you want it to be there. Pingdom are helping keep your favorite sites online, sites like Slack, BuzzFeed, Amazon, Netflix, RelayFM. These are companies who trust Pingdom to take care of their website monitoring. Websites are very complicated, but you can monitor any site transaction with Pingdom. Stuff like user registrations, logins, checkouts, anything. So they can make sure that every part of your website is functioning to its best available performance. If anything happens on your website, if anything gets rocky, if anything goes down, if disaster strikes, you'll be the first to know if you use Pingdom. You just give them the URL that you want to monitor. They take care of the rest. You can customize how you're alerted, who's alerted. It's super simple to do, really easy to get started. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM and you can get a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. And just use the code UPGRADE at checkout when you sign up and you'll get a huge 30% of your first invoice. It's pingdom.com slash RelayFM for a free trial. Upgrade as the code at checkout to get 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and Relay FM. So the last two categories were uh, developer relations and societal and environmental impact. So uh, developer relations was a B minus down from a B. And I think if I would like kind of sum it up that review times got faster, but scam apps exist and Apple isn't seem to really be doing anything about it. Yeah, and this is a category where um, the fact is in 2015 when I started this survey, much more um, important, <laughs> maybe much more. Developer contentious. relations were a were a real concern, yeah, yeah. and that average score in 2015 was 2.2. 2. It wow. was by far the lowest score wow. that any the, the lowest average that we've ever gotten in anything on the survey. Uh, developer relations were at a very low point. That's also when Phil Schiller took over and started making major changes and. Uh, and that score came up and has, uh, you know, is now at a B minus. It, it went down slightly from last year, but basically it's a, it's a pretty good score. And that's the truth of it is I think developers are relatively happy. There are, there are issues. Definitely there's complaint about, um, about scams and frauds. And John Gruber mentioned that for sure. Um, uh, uh, Lex Friedman mentioned like panic coming back to the Mac app store was a big one. Um, there's a lot of positive stuff. It's not a, 
perfect thing. It's always a work in progress. There, are, Everybody's got kind of pet issues that they wish that Apple would do better. But I think what I take away from the developer relation category is that today, if I were building the survey and not trying to repeat it every year, I wouldn't ask this question because I just don't think it's a burning question like it was in 2015. And that that is meaningful to me that I think when Phil Schiller took over developer relations stuff, took over the App Store, um, they, they made appreciable changes fairly quickly that seem to have solved a lot, not all, a lot of the pain that went into it. So that's I think that's the most interesting thing about it is just that it's not as relevant as it was uh, four years ago. Yeah, I think that was the big change, right? Was was Phil taking over from Medi and then things started to move from there and little things started to get added and over time it has made things better for everyone, right? Yep. And the last one is societal slash environmental impact where uh, Apple got a B grade down from a B plus. I think if I was going to sum this up, it would be that kind of Apple talks a good game in a lot of areas, does a lot of great stuff, but it seemed like there was a consistent concern with Apple failing to stand up against the US government in a lot of key areas and that leadership diversity, whilst they're still doing some efforts to change stuff, is still moving very, very slowly. Yeah, the, definitely there's a sense that people appreciate um, that Tim Cook speaks out about lots of issues, that the company is focused on user privacy and security and all of that, but also pointing out that, you know, but then they also play ball in China where they're going to let China into the data centers and look at the uh, user data and uh, that there are places where they they uh, talk a good game and then they sit down with the current administration and they're definitely panelists saying um, they're going to regret that historically by by playing ball with them. Um, again, debatable. Everybody's got an opinion about it. Um, this is another one of those categories that uh, I think is still relevant, but the meaning of the environmental and social impact category in the survey has changed almost every single year, which I find fascinating. Uh, it's what people focus on. And it's actually something that um, Dr. Drang mentioned, which is uh, in the early 2000s, Apple, Greenpeace especially, like called out Apple for its environmental practices. And what's funny is that they decided to fix that and make a commitment to it. And that slide that they put up after every product with its green checklist and all that, that is all because Apple really did over the last 15 years completely change its processes to focus on making um, less of a negative environmental impact and being a positive impact whenever they could. And that is a place where they where they changed. And I think you still see that where in 2015, quite honestly, this survey was in there because there was a lot of stories in the news about Apple's factories in China and suicides at the factories and the feeling that the people in the factories were not being treated well and that Apple was benefiting from the terrible work conditions there. But over time, it has also evolved to mean other things. It has been about Apple's political connections in the US. It's about Apple standing up to the FBI. Yep. Uh, it, it was about Apple's diversity on stage or diversity in its management team. Or um, I quote in the story, Aline and Jean from App Camp for Girls, uh, talking about their entrepreneur camp for women developers. Um, like there's a lot of stuff that people can kind of um, heap into this category, which is why I think it's interesting. I'm not sure it's consistent from year to year, but I think maybe it's lack of consistency is uh, is good in that it shows like what are people thinking in terms of these intangible things about Apple? Because Apple is a company that takes stands and says it believes in things and its executives go out and make pronouncements. And I think it's worth... Uh, so I think that they're calling by doing that, they're um, 
opening themselves up to analysis about where they succeed and where they fail. That a faceless corporation might not uh, have, there might not be anything relevant to analyze about it, but Apple is in this game and so it is relevant for them. It's a good year for interesting stuff in the scorecard. Um, I'm pleased that you put this together because it's it's so nice to have a record going back. Yeah, I that is one thing that I, I I really value in it is that it's not just taking the temperature of the you know the pundits and the Apple watchers at any given time, but it's also seeing how their um, their views evolve over time. And with the direct quotes, you can get the sense of the you know the real like feelings that everybody's got in detail. And then with the numbers, you can just get an overall kind of sense of the trends and the sentiment. And um, again, I don't think it proves anything <laughs> per se, but mm-hmm. I think it's interesting to see to get a snapshot of this. And the first year I did it, I actually did an open version of this survey for people who. Um, you know, saw the link on six colors where they could fill it out before it was published. And I stopped doing that. And the reason I stopped doing that is, uh, the, the scores were different, but the, the relationship between the scores were identical. So, you know, it might've been not a 3.4, but a 2.4 and not a 3.9, but a 2.9 because all the scores were a little bit lower from the general public, but their relationship to the pundit survey was the same. And I think honestly, that comes out of the fact that, on average, as a whole, uh, and this should not be surprising, the people who consume all the content from the people who think and talk about Apple have their opinions, to a certain extent, shaped by those people. So again, not proving anything. Reality may be completely different, but in the end, I think it's still worth uh, polling the Apple observers. And I said earlier that I asked 55 people to be on the panel. That's not actually true. I asked about 100 people, maybe a little bit more. Um, Many of them don't do it. So these are the 55 people, and there's a list at the end. These are the 55 people who said yes. And so they're the ones in the survey. Um, I gave them the option to not be quoted. Um, plus, people could just not give me feedback. Yeah, I didn't um, give any quotes. So, I never give quotes. So, <laughs> yeah, which is fine. I, I thank Thanks to everybody who didn't give any quotes, because going through the quotes is really hard work. But thanks to the people who did, because they provided good uh, good color, let's say, mm-hmm. for uh, for the, the Bayer survey results. Jason, before we finish today, I have a, a follow-up item for you before we do a couple of Ask Ooh. Upgrade questions. It's, un- it's unorthodox, <laughs> but I'll allow it. It's because during the episode today, uh, Apple published a behind-the-scenes video on how they made their yes. iPad Pro ads. And you can now see that, yes, it was LumaFusion that was used to edit. <laughs> and Filmic, and yep, Filmic, Filmic Pro, Pro used to shoot it. So yep. For all of the people that were doubting that Apple made their videos on the iPad Pro, well, they did. You can see it now, Um, and I think that's really great. I'm really pleased that they decided to show this. Um, Obviously, it was always part of the plan because they were filming it. Um, Yes. But I'm really pleased to see that, yes, LumaFusion is being used because that was what me and you said. Well, they're obviously using it because that's how you could do this. Yeah. So there you go. So there you go, haters. <laughs> it's your video, right? You ask for it, and there it is. They did do it. Um, the iPad Pro is very capable and very powerful, and I'm very pleased that Apple decided to not only make this campaign, but make this specific video because it, it proves a point. To ask upgrade questions before... So just two lasers, please, Jason. Uh, before Thank you. Before we, we uh, finish off today's episode, first one comes from Matthew. Do you think Apple would create a web version for their video service similar to Netflix or Amazon Prime? 
Um, currently, you need to have an app or maybe in, in the future a device that supports it. Do you think they'll make a web-focused version of their streaming service? I'm going to say yes. Okay. It's a coin flip for me. I see how much um, my daughter watches you know, Netflix in a browser and stuff. And I feel like, you know, she could, she, well, I mean, on, on the Mac, there is no Netflix app. You have to use a browser and Apple could put this in iTunes. I, I just feel like, uh, that technology exists. And why would you not? Because then anybody who's paying you money can watch it anywhere. And I think that's probably what Apple wants is to just, uh, I, I say yes, because of the same reason that it's on TVs and stuff is that it just gives them another outlet for people to give them money and watch their stuff. And the one of the other things is that uh, a lot of the ways that these smart TV stuff works, it's all web-based. Right. So they're already building a, a essentially a web player. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Like, or at least they are creating what would need to be the underpinnings for a web-based right. system on the TVs. So, I mean, I don't know how much harder it would be for them to build a front end, but they may have had to go a lot of the way there themselves so and and also that really just it stops them and it's probably why Netflix do it too it stops them from having to have to support everything because well if it has a web browser you could just watch it the apps are better but you can just get it via the web and uh, here we go Jason this question comes from John now that we're in iPhone rumor season what will the next iPhone be called (laughs) iPhone 11 iPhone 11 with Roman numerals, iPhone <laughs> Pro. What's it gonna be? Um, I mean, I think it will be 11. I, I think, think it will think be, 11, be 11. 11 with the numbers. I think it's gonna. I think they will go back to numbers because it's gonna get. Too I think messy. there will be an iPhone 11. There will be an iPhone 11 Max, and there will be an iPhone 11 R. And we're in complete agreement. If there's a new R phone, it might also just be the 10 R will remain. Um, and they won't update that every year. That would not surprise me at all. Yeah, I, I am I am in agreement with you on that one, I think. At least for now. If you would like to ask a question uh, for us to finish out the, the show, you can send it to it with the hashtag AskUpgrade. We got a lot. We had a lot we didn't get to today because uh, we the, the, the scorecard is a big topic to get through. And we don't want to have you sit here for, for four hours while we get through everything we had to get through today. And if you want to find our show notes for this episode, you can go to relay.fm slash upgrade slash two, three, zero. Jason is online. He is uh, at sixcolors.com where you can find the scorecard in all of its glory. There is a lot of charts and there is a lot of information that we didn't cover in today's episode so i do uh implore you to go and check it out there's a lot of really great quotes from a lot of really uh intelligent and smart people some cool stuff to say so you can go and check that out at sixcolors.com jason is at j snell on twitter i am at imike i m y k e this show is a part of relay fm you can find upgrade and many many other shows in fact some would say pretty much all of the great shows over at Relay.fm slash shows and you can pick up a new show there Um, and we'll be back next time thanks again to our sponsors the fine folk over at Pingdom Care of and Lunar Display until next week Jason Snell say goodbye Mike I give you an A oh thank you Jason (laughs) 